The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. So we've seen quite a number of reports released about uh, the state of play in South African politics and uh, many serious allegations being brought to light. And a newly released report by academics from various institutions suggests that South Africa has in fact experienced a silent coup. And it says that the ANC has been removed as a primary force for transformation. The report, uh, titled Betrayal of the Promise, How South Africa is Being Stolen, suggests that President Jacob Jacob Zuma and his allies have built and consolidated the symbiotic relationship between the constitutional state and a shadow state in order to execute that silent coup. And we spoke to uh, Dr. Mzugisi Kobo briefly about this on Friday, and uh, we thought we would unpack it further this morning. So uh, this morning, we're looking at this report, Betrayal of the Promise, and um, our guest is Professor Chipkin, who is one of the co-authors of the report. Report. Professor, thanks so much for your time this morning. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. So a silent coup. Um, what, is South Af- what are South Africans supposed to make of that? Because, you know, when you listen to uh, talk about what's going on in the country at the moment and you hear words such as a coup being bandied around, surely it's worrisome. I think it is worrisome. Um, so let me explain what, what, what we've been doing. We're a group of academics from various universities. Mm-hmm. We're not journalists, so there are no scoops in the report in the sense of revelations of new information, although there, there, are, there are some minor ones. What we've done is we've, we've taken information from a whole variety of sources, uh, stories that have been broken by journalists, uh, data coming out of the National Treasury, uh, financial data on financial flows, a whole range of information from different sources which is in the public domain, and what we've tried to do is connect the dots, connect the dots to see uh, coincidences of, in, in, terms of, in terms of timing of events, um, those sorts of things, and, tr- and to try to tell a coherent story. As I say, it isn't, what we've done is we've made an argument. We've collected a whole lot of information, a whole lot of evidence, and we've tried to make an argument. I think the argument is, is, is a compelling argument, and the ar- argument essentially suggests this that from about 2011, 2012, a completely legitimate uh, political project of a trying to achieve radical economic transformation by using the state of enterprises is radicalized in a way that is unexpected and I think is, that is un- unfortunate. And the radicalization takes place in this way. For reasons which we can go into, the protagonists of radical economic transformation decide or come to the conclusion that the project cannot be achieved within the framework of the law and within the context of the Constitution. And as a result, we see growing evidence that there's a move to extra-legal, non-legal means. Um, and with, with that is an attempt to close down those institutions responsible for investigative and, and prosecutorial work. SARS, for example, which has built up a a very powerful investigative capacity, um, of course, the Hawks, the NP, and, and the NPA. And what we start witnessing from that period is increasingly power is shifting away from formal, formal institutions within government, certainly from parliament, from cabinet, and definitely from the ANC itself. In other words, the ANC is no longer a locus of power. Instead, what we argue is what there is evidence to suggest is happening is that power is shifting to what we call kitchen cabinets, 
a whole range of locations outside the formal institutions where key decisions about South Africa's political and economic future are being, are being made. And it's in that sense that we refer to silent coup, in a sense in, the which, in which power is slipping away from the formal democratic institutions of, of, of South Africa. And you also uh, highlight uh, what you call defining moments uh, to support these findings. The Marikana massacre, the landing of the Gupta plane at the Waterkloof Air Base, uh, the cabinet reshuffle um, as some examples. Uh, Why were these moments so significant? Well, the the last cabinet reshuffle, for example, is striking in the sense that it is a a reshuffle which takes place seemingly without the authority or authorization of of the ANC itself. And what it suggests to us is that decisions... So historically, of course, cabinet of course, it's at the president's discretion. But in the past, those sorts of decisions, which are major decisions, have always been taken in consultation with the Lutuli House. The last uh, cabinet reshuffle looks like the evidence is strongly suggestive uh, from the reports that, that emerged afterwards was that this was a decision taken by the president alone and wasn't taken in consultation with, with Lutuli House. And there's a suggestion, and that's what we're, we're arguing, that power is seeping away from all the traditional locations where, where, where authority, authority rested. But doesn't it also um, give a sense that it is happening with tacit approval of those who are meant to uphold power and the rule of law? Even, even here, the evidence is, and of course uh, the evidence is, 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 is cursory, but the evidence here is already suggestive. Increasingly, cabinet decisions are being made into ministerial committees. So more and more of cabinet decision-making is being delegated to these interministerial committees where a handful of the same ministers are, are, are in charge of. So even there's evidence that even cabinet matters are increasingly being displaced away from, from cabinet itself. There's also evidence to suggest that the, the pro, cabinet is not meeting as often as it used to meet, also, that the process in which um, uh, matters are discussed in cabinet has, is, is, is failing. So traditionally, there's a system, a quite an elaborate system for the, uh, for the development of cabinet memos. That process, we understand, is breaking down. If you look recently at the, uh, over the weekend, the, the, the emails that have been circulated from, in the, from, the, from the Sunday newspapers, there's strong suggestion um, that key cabinet matters are being discussed and decided on in locations clearly outside outside of government. So there's a sense of, it's in this sense again of a kind of an emerging shadow of decision making being displaced or taken outside of the normal traditional places where decisions are supposed to be taken. And of course, uh, Treasury also plays a central role in all of these discussions. And we saw Friday, um, ANN 7, you know, talking about uh, things that have gone horribly wrong, according to them, at Treasury. So your take on Treasury, if you could just walk us through that, the capture of National Treasury and how you see that. So Treasury is in an individual, what's the word, I'm... He's in a very difficult position. I'll just slip the words to my mind. Um, National Treasury, in terms of the Constitution, is a constitutional body. In other words, the way it performs is defined by the Constitution, and that very, very severely constrains um, what can and what cannot be done by the Ministry of Finance, for example. It gets even more complicated, but 
procurement, public procurement itself is a constitutional matter. So, for example, the Constitution in Section 217 proclaims on procurement that procurement must reconcile two, two principles. One is fair price, uh, so that uh, procurement happens in a way that the, uh, the, lowest, uh, the lowest bidder the lowest bidder wins the contract or takes into contact takes into consideration factors like experience, etc. That's the one consideration. The second one is, is black economic empowerment or equity. And the Constitution therefore requires, requires that public procurement reconciles these two principles. It reconciles fair price and it reconciles the principles of equity. The National, National Treasury is the custodian of public of procurement in, in South Africa. Uh, has a, in many cases, it, it has a responsibility to oversee those processes, um, especially in the places where it, is the, where it is the shareholder, but also to manage to get to, to ensure financial financial prudence. So it is it is constitutionally obliged to consider procurement from a certain point of view. Now, increasingly, we see from 2010 2011, there's growing pressure on the national treasury to to for it to. Um, <clears throat> Uh, introduce uh, pro- pro- proclamations that would have considerations of black economic empowerment override considerations of price and experience in bidding processes. This is coming from a whole range of sources. And you see National Treasury under massive, massive pressure to, to do that. And, of course, National Treasury in the end refuses, and in particular it refuses to extend those provisions to state-owned enterprises. In other words, it does not allow state-owned enterprises to privilege considerations of race over considerations of experience and price in the state of the enterprises. Not because this is a lack of will of the, of the Minister of Finance, but because the Constitution does not allow it to. We argue that it's in those circumstances that there is a radicalization of the project of, of, um, of radical economic transformation, and increasingly the pro- protagonists of radical economic transformation begin to see that the Constitution itself is an obstacle to the, to, the, to the project of change. And it's in that context that there is a growing move to extra-legal extra legal means, but also it means the national treasury itself becomes the object of very, very major attempts to, 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 to weaken it and to capture it. How has national treasury gone about its uh, duty to South Africa? Have they covered themselves in glory, or are they indeed guilty of um, some of the allegations that have been made against them? Uh, which allegations are you referring to? Allegations uh, in that um, ANN7 report about how uh, the national treasury were basically sleeping at the wheel and allowing uh, for unlawful and, in certain instances, illegal transactions to take place on their watch. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't, I don't know the details. Of, I don't know the details of those claims. The national treasury, like other departments, is a large department. Um, uh, it seems plausible to me. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know the details of these claims. Um, um, this, they are, um, if, 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 there's, uh, if there's substantial evidence there, then I, I presume it will, be, it, will be, it will be tested in court. I can only say this, that, you know, these are, we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about um, uh, goodies and baddies here. We're talking of very, very complicated environments where in, in, in large departments where involving thousands of people where, in a whole range of things could be taking place, including illegal practices or unethical practices. So these, these claims are quite possibly true. What it shouldn't detract attention away from 
is the remarkable achievement of National Treasury as an institution in the first place. And this is really, we have to, we have to recognize this. So can I... Can I but, but, but in that instance, is it an achievement in resisting, um, for example, a, a takeover by the protagonist that you outline in your report? Is, is that what we should be applauding them for? Or should this rather be about South Africans taking a stand against all kinds of wrongdoing, no matter who the perpetrators are? Oh, I think we definitely have to take a stand I mean, uh, against all forms of wrongdoing. There's absolutely no doubt there. Um, and, if, and if it's in, and if it's in the, if it's in national treasury or in any other department, absolutely, we 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 have to take a clear stand against against that. There's no doubt about that. So then the other question is, of course, with all of this evidence, and I think you uh, alluded to it briefly um, uh, during your previous remarks, with all of the evidence, um, the allegations before us, why is it then that we haven't seen any? investigations that have concluded any way, one way or another? And, 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 and where are the other investigations in, into these um, uh, acts of impropriety on so many levels, in so many instances? Where is law enforcement in all of this? I mean, that is, that is, that is the key question. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is what this is, what is astonishing. So after so the Hawks, the case of the Hawks is fascinating. I mean, um, there's a whole there are a whole range of purges of the Hawks. Um, Anandramat, uh, General Shadrach Sabia, the head of the Hawks in Gauteng, General Boyson, the head of the Hawks in in in, um, in KZN, all under very very similar circumstances. Uh, there's an intelligence dossier that appears alleging their in, in, their involvement in some terrible criminal activities. In the case of General Boyson, it was his involvement in the a Cato Manor hit squad, allegedly. In the case of Jeff Shadrach Sabia, it was his involvement in the illegal addition of Zimbabweans, the same with Anwar Dramat. Uh, allegations are made. Uh, they use them to suspend the people um, the implicated or to even to, to, to dismiss them. The charges are never really, are never really established. In all the cases I've mentioned, Anwar Dramat, General Sabia, and General Boyson, the cases are eventually thrown out of court because they have no substance. But in that context, uh, professional policemen are removed and, uh, and others are brought in. And what we see unambiguously is during the, that period, uh, criminal investiga- high-profile criminal investigations begin to drop off. So the cases against uh, um, prominent key persons, those cases just stop proceeding. Um, so what um, recourse does the country have? <laughs> I think the re- one of the recourse, and this is what we're trying to do as academics, is to is to tell the story in a way that is a coherent story, um, to gather evidence and to tell a story that is compelling. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make an argument. We're trying to make sense of all sorts of of, of information because currently in, in the current situation, there's just so much news going on. It's very very difficult to make sense of it all. What we're trying to do is provide a coherent a coherent narrative of what, of what is occurring as a way to develop a, 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 res, a response for the public response, for civil society organizations to, 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 to organize for, for ordinary citizens to understand the current situation and what is happening. That's what we're trying to do.
Well, I'm in conversation this morning uh, with Professor Ivor Chipkin. He's the co-author of the report, uh, Betrayal of the Promise. And we're looking at that this morning. And we're also taking your views, your calls on 891 uh, Professor Chipkin only with us until half past eight and he'll have to run. But we'll continue taking calls after that. Uh, so you can uh, sh- give us a shout there. And you can also send us your SMSs on 40938. Uh, tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM and uh, quite a few messages coming through Um, uh, Kasichi says truth must be told Uh, brownish people can't dare to remove Zuma and the ANC because they fear for grants and RDP houses and therefore uh, Zuma is untouchable Uh, Sabelo says or asks uh, do constitutional limitations against SOEs prioritizing race over price and quality explain the call for nationalization and um, then this one here from Sidiko who says so uh, the academics compiled a report based on newspaper articles. So please contextualize that for us, uh, Professor Chipkin. That's true. We've used we've used newspaper we've used newspaper articles, and we've used uh, we've used um, work done by intrepid, courageous journalists. I mean, that's what's so extraordinary and important about having a free press in South Africa. That there are some very courageous journalists that have done some important work, and we have certainly drawn from their work. But not only from journalists' work, we've uh, triangulated it with all other data. For example, the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer, one of the key institutions in the current situation, has put out all sorts of data around around, around procurement processes. So we've, we've drawn on that. We've drawn on economic data. We don't forget we're working with one, probably one of the most prestigious uh, economic outfits in, 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 in South Africa, the DPRU and the Harun Borat. So we're drawing on a whole range of, of sources. We're drawing on court documents. Uh, we've been in, over the last couple of years um, tremendous court battles of which there are presentations, affidavits, etc. There's a lot of information from those documents. So as I say, we're drawing lots and lots of different sources of information to, to make an argument. Well, we're going to take a few calls. 891 Temba is calling from PE. Good morning. Sakina, good morning. Welcome, Temba. The, the, the gentleman or the professor firstly critiques towards him. He is not telling us how traditionally the ANC takes decision in government. He simply goes through the whole host of media releases and compiles that as a report and as a status quo within government. He should first tell us, pre-Zuma, who influenced the ANC and where decisions were taken. Because certainly what we see today is not new. But it depends who are taking decisions, what role was played by prominent business persons in the country. I will give you one name, and you can think of any, the Sakimatosomas of this world. That's one part. The second part, when you confront him or ask him politely about the revelations last week, he has not come to, what is this, uh, come across that information, which is key. Now, instead of doing a proper diagnosis of what informs National Treasury, has National Treasury been captured? I will tell you now, it's been captured. It's been captured, you must look into the role that is played by multilaterals institutions. You must check the role that is played by the University of Western Cape. You must check the role that is played by the USA and USA in influencing government policy. Is that not captured? It is captured. 
but the limitations that are set by constitution in ensuring that there's radical economic transformation where would you get an experienced black south african in 1994-98-2001 to do a tender of 10 billion rand where would you get a black south african with the value of equity as such to ensure that he tenders you won't now that constitutional limitation still remains but sakina let's move on why are we entertaining fake news in south africa well, what is the, fake the, the, news? You see, uh, the that's the question news, the, right now. The, the, fake, the fake news is what is constructed clearly in boardrooms. It's what is constructed clearly in boardrooms of newspapers or news agencies to influence and capture the South African minds and direct us into thinking in one direction. And by so doing, they are sucking money out of us. Because we phone, we pay, we buy papers, and they influence our decision. But if you read carefully the emails, these emails are clearly a fake. These emails are generated somewhere to cause harm to a particular group of people. Mm. There's no truth in those. But they are making money out of us. They are making money out of us. Okay, Temba, I just want to take Felix so that I can get Professor to respond before we go to news. Felix in Alspreet, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Welcome. And I think, uh, yes, I think I just wanted to say that, see, there is a very thin line between sanity and insanity. And that thin line is called reasoning, rational reasoning. If you can reason, you will pass from a state of insanity to a state of sanity. And that is what the problem is. If I tell you, Sakina, that if you add two plus two, you will get four. Are you going to ask me for a proof? What proof am I supposed to tell you? Is it because you don't know the meaning of two, or is it because you don't know the meaning of addition? Because the proof of what I'm saying is in the statement itself. If you add two plus two in this country, you will have seen that Jacob Zuma has become rogue. He has gone rogue, and he's doing whatever he likes. He's saying he has presidential prerogative to do anything he likes. Well, that is not the basis of our law. That is not the spirit of our law. The spirit of our law is accountability. You cannot claim you are a president who does not account to anyone, and you want to tell me you have the presidential prerogative not to account to anyone anyway. This is madness. This is the height of insanity. And if people do not understand this, the question is, what do they really understand? Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're discussing the uh, report, uh, Betrayal of the Promise, looking at uh, how South Africa is being stolen. And our guest this morning, Professor Ivor Chipkin, co-author of the report, also Executive Director of Public Affairs Research Institute and Associate Professor at the School of Social Sciences at Wits University. Um, so if we could just go back and just give responses to those two callers we took before the break, Professor? Just, uh, just a correction, I'm not the co-author. There are a whole, there are a whole range of authors. Uh, it's been quite a wide collaborative project. We're responding more specifically. So uh, the issue of the Constitution, I think, is absolutely key in, our, in, our, in, in this conversation and in general conversations. And it's, it's how we think about the Constitution in relationship to, to economic transformation. I think there is, there is absolutely no doubt, uh, and only a fool would doubt it, actually, that there 
is a major need to change patterns of ownership and control in the South African economy. As it stands now, South Africa is unsustainable with the current economic economic structure, both in terms of patterns of racial ownership, but just in terms of of, 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 of the structure of the, of the economy itself. So there's, there's no doubt that this absolutely needs to happen. But the great promise of 1994, and this has always been the position of the ANC historically, um, is that these changes, that the, the Southern Constitution is a vehicle through which these changes can happen. I was at the, on the weekend, last weekend, uh, I was listening to Judge Dikha uh, Mosineke discussing the Constitution. And what he did was he, he recalled the extraordinary progressive character of the Constitution. It doesn't, even, even the property clauses and clauses on land are, are, are progressive. This, this caricature of, of the Constitution is entrenching property clauses in a traditional manner are just, are, just, are, just, are just false. So the Constitution provides, is a vehicle, is a provides a general structure for which all sorts of quite incredibly progressive policies can really be implemented, both on the, on the economic, economic front and on the social front. The problem we have currently is that for reasons which we need to engage with, there are a group of people that have come to the decision that the Constitution is an obstacle to political and economic transformation in South Africa. That conclusion is false. I'm absolutely sure that that conclusion is false. The Constitution is an opportunity. It's not an obstacle. And as long as we, are, as long as we cannot move past this idea that the Constitution is an obstacle, I think the crisis in South Africa remains. And this is at the heart of the current, the current problem. Well, uh, Professor Chipkin, uh, if we could just take a few quick more calls before we release you. Um, Hassan, um, Tombego and Jonathan, just the three that were there. Hassan Nogat, good morning. Hi, if you can have me, I'd like to make two points. One is about the fake news issue and the other one is about treasury being captured historically. Uh, on fake news, I mean, you see Donald Trump use the same, if you follow the American politics, which is a real soap opera, he uses exactly the same arguments, and that is an aim there to evade the real challenges he's facing about whether the election was stolen or not. And in our country, I think it's quite easy. You need to check whether there should be some forensic inquiry uh, on one to authenticate whether these emails are genuine. And secondly, a public process where those who are accused must actually answer, you know, uh, whether whether these things are true or not. And you know, good in. Uh, if it's public, clearly that shines a lot of light, so the people shouldn't be afraid of that. Regarding Treasury, I mean, the people who are criticizing Treasury of, of being historically captured were absent when, when, when many of us were fighting Treasury. I mean, as, back, as far back as 1996, when the government decided on gear, Kosatu opposed it, the Communist Party opposed it, you know, and they said it was a neoliberal program, even though Mandela sanctioned it. So the idea that is someone else sold out and these born-again radicals now forget that history. They were not around. You know, uh, it does not mean, in fact, many of us thought Treasury was not, was not pro-people. The, the people's budget and the number of campaigns that, people, that we ran opposed the neoliberal trend. Now this refound radicalism around the economy is not genuine. It is meant to deflect attention from the wholesale corporate theft by a clique of public resources. So what do, those who criticize whatever is the black economic empowerment must tell us what will remain in the public domain, what will be there for mm-hmm. the citizens, because it looks like it's a terrain for looting. Clearly, there should be a debate around the economy, but it's been clouded by those whose objectives are not meant to empower ordinary people.
Okay, Prof, yeah. I know we need to let you go, so perhaps just respond to Hassan and then we shall yeah, release Hassan, you. thank you. That was, I mean, I think that's, that's incredibly valuable. We don't have to, and I think one shouldn't necessarily agree with, with the, the, the various policies that the Treasury has, has implemented or been responsible for thinking around. I think there's huge contestation within Treasury itself about, about, some, about some of the policies. Um, and there's legitimate contestation around at the level of, at the level of policy. But what is absolutely correct as well is that the National Treasury in the current situation has been a bulwark against massive, massive looting of, 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 of government and of state and enterprises in particular. So we need to be very careful about throwing out the baby, baby with the bathwater. Professor Ivor Chipkin, thanks so much for your time this morning. And uh, we shall continue this conversation without Professor. So the line's still open, 0891-104-208, taking your calls, talking about this betrayal of the promise report. And it talks about a subversion of executive authority uh, that has resulted in the hollowing out of the cabinet as uh, South Africa's preeminent decision-making body. And it also talks about the redirection of procurement spend of SOEs to favor those who are prepared to deal with uh, the Gupta Zuma uh, family uh, network link. So what are your thoughts on all of this? And remember, we are being bombarded with so many, so many investigations and reports and allegations at the moment. And uh, of course, fake news, uh, we'll hear that phrase quite often as we move along. But what are your thoughts about all of these revelations and what is going on? I can't help but wonder, you know, where are the investigations, who is testing the veracity of some of these very, very serious allegations, um, or do we simply not care? And all the cases that have been opened over the last however many months, what has happened to those? Has there been any progress? And if not, why not? Are we now in such a state of paralysis as a country, as a nation, that we cannot make heads of ta- or tails and move forward? And if so, again, why do we find ourselves in that situation? And I say again, with all these allegations bouncing around, nobody has come out to say, actually, you know, that is not true because of A, B, C, D and cleared their name in the first instance. Why is that? 891 uh, Vusi Etegwini, uh, good morning. Morning, Sakina. I, I, I've always been an agent. Uh, 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 no, I've always been uh, uh, saying that uh, I've been an advocate of saying Zuma must go and go immediately. But after this weekend's report, I, I, I've changed my mind. I believe Zuma should stay. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because uh, all along we, it's been agreed, as Mwisen Lozu would say, it, Zuma is a constitutional delinquent, and he has proven over time. However, because the ANC is, 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 is standing behind Zuma, it means the ANC owns Zuma and all his shenanigans. Therefore, the entire ANC has gone rogue. They are constitutional delinquents. So Zuma must stay. He must stay so that he can complete the job that he has started, that of, the, of, of, of completely destroying the ANC. So that people of South Africa come 2019, they will vote for the, 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 vote the ANC out. South Africa has suffered enough. It can't, be, it can't be worse than this. Therefore, let him stay a little while, continue to destroy the ANC and its reputation so that people will vote it out come 2019. Okay, that's Vusi Eteguini. Uh, Eunice in Hillcrest, good morning. Good morning. One, one thing that worries me too about all this is that the new Minister of Finance 
has an advisor who wants the banks to be nationalized. Uh, why does that worry you, Eunice? It worries me that the, that the government is going to take over, the, that the Guptas are going to take over the banks. Okay, that's uh, Eunice in Hillcrest, Tobago, East London. Good morning to you. Uh, hi, hi, SK. Thank you for my call. Um, it's a pity I missed uh, the, the the professor. Um, I had wanted to check with him um, the the bench against which this report or the arguments they are advancing um, has been marked. You see, there is, um, is it perhaps seeking to contribute to academic discourse um, with reality for its sake? Or it uh, perhaps uh, could be for those that are motivated, people that seek to do something about what they know. What I'm talking about is, is it, uh, for example, legally sustainable? so that we can say, here is a body of knowledge, um, let's test in a court of law, we seek a decision, rather than um, in a discourse where you could find a lot of noise. That's what I would have liked to ask. Thank you. Okay, that's um, Ntobe, uh, Ntom, Ntobego in East London. And I tell you what, uh, when we spoke to Dr. Tobo on Friday, he said this was about connecting the dots, uh, just drawing very clear linkages about what has been reported on um, uh, in terms of what is happening in the state. So whether that can be taken forward in any meaningful way, I'm not sure. So your questions I am unable to answer, and it really is a pity that uh, Professor Chipkin is no longer with us. Jonathan in Mangaung, good morning to you. Good morning, Fakila. But, you know, I've always believed that there is a degree of state capture. But my problem is with the people who are raising these issues. I believe that they should teach the people. You know, when you come with a problem or when you come and you raise a problem, uh, an issue saying that this is what, what is happening, teach the people how it was being done in the past, how it's been done now, and how do you think it's supposed to be done going to the future so that the people can make decisions? I believe our leaders who are raising these issues of state capture must take emotions out of the picture because once they become emotional, those who have been led by them or their constituencies are also going to be emotional. And you will find that most of them don't even know how things are supposed to be, but yet they are being emotional and they are just being angry and they are... They are you know, there won't be any control. We need to know how things were being done, how things are being done now, so that we can make proper and found decisions going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. Is it not about what is right and what is wrong? And if something is wrong, surely we should take offense to that, regardless of where it is done, whom it is being done by. But it seems as though there are these biases that inform what we are offended by or not. It can't be. I think it was uh, Aubrey Machikli who used the phrase um, devils with halos and angels with horns. Is it that type of situation? Is that what it's come to? Because for me, if it is wrong, any sort of wrongdoing that's been perpetrated anywhere by anyone should be investigated and everybody should be made to actually defend whatever they are being accused of. If not, what are we doing?
we can't be selective in this instance. At least that's my thought. Uh, Mlungisi um, is calling us from uh, M. Kumbane. Good morning. Good morning, my sister. Hi. Yes, my sister. Uh, you know, the professor, uh, the, release, the release that they made on Friday said there is a silent coup. What I would like to call it, I would call it an intellectual academic coup. You know, my sister, the constitution is very important. But we, we blacks who are poor, we don't eat the constitution. We don't sleep in the constitution. You ask the professor uh, about the expose uh, by AN7 on Friday. He said to answer. He just ate scorching potatoes. They are not concerned about the poor. About the poor. I, I never heard them talking about the homeless, the hungry. I never heard them talking about the bank's corruption, full corruption. That is what I wanted to contribute. All right. Uh, that's Mlungi. See, let's go to Chris in Leidenberg. Good morning to you. How are you? Good and you, Chris. Great. I agree with what you've just said now. Anything that is wrong should be investigated. But the problem here in the country is that you've got two groups that are competing and each group, whenever there's a scandal about the other group, they are releasing counter-allegations. And that is done purposefully in order to uh, confuse the population. Because if you can look generally in South Africa, the population, they are not that well informed when it comes to these intricate political matters. So they, the politicians are using this information vacuum to just confuse the population and so that we don't feel that we are doing something wrong. But it needs to be investigated, Sakina. I agree with you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, Chris in Leidenberg. Castro, Davidson, good morning. Good morning, SK. How are you? Well, and you? Good, good. No, SK, look, I think uh, you have covered me on this part of how Oprima uh, described the, the whole uh, shenanigan or situation. Uh, I just wanted to ask the prof. Unfortunately, the professor is not with us now. That is it a coincidence that uh, the, the, the recourse for those who are offended by the by the media, the recourse is so little that uh, they, 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 they are repeated offense because of there were people who were opposed to the new bills that were seeking to, to, to introduce a better a better punishment for the media to, to, to account on these things. People are busy saying that the president doesn't account or the ANC doesn't account to people, but the media is refusing to account. We have professional bodies for doctors, we have professional bodies for advocates and everyone, but there is a little recourse or a, 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 a body that, that, that governs uh, the, what you call, the, 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 the behavior of the, the, the media, especially the, 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 the journalists. That, that, that they are there. Simple reason is that this thing has a systematic approach to ensure that the media will play a role that will t- distribute fake news like those emails. And I agree with you that maybe at some stage uh, these people who are being offended they really need to go deeper and share with us what was the, what was the reason for them to be to be offended by the media. Look what happened with the Brian Mulefes case. The, 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 the newspaper was, was instructed to withdraw, then what? What is next? Nothing. They will repeat. There's nothing. They, they will continue to be repeated offenders. Thank you. Mm, okay, uh, Castro, you've gone there. But I'll tell you what. Again, yes, that is my contention. But I'm saying, and, and you know, uh, people will hold their views on this. I'm saying all of this needs to be investigated thoroughly. 
So even your last example that you use of Brian Mulefe, for example, it needs to be investigated whether or not ESCOM actually paid the 30 million rand to Brian Mulefe. And if so, did they do so unlawfully? And if that is the case, there needs to be repercussions for that because that that whole scenario needs to be explained. And there are too many of those sorts of cases that are hanging at the moment. But we cannot choose one and leave the other because this grouping or that grouping offends our sensibilities. And I think that is where we are stuck at the moment, uh, where we as a nation seemingly are forced to choose sides. It's simple. We need to be on the side of truth at this point, whatever it is, wherever it may be found. And if we're going to go down any other route, we are damned because then we will be hit by fake news all over the show. Patrick in Richmond, good morning. Good morning, Sakina, to the listener. Um, I just want to ask your guest, but it is gone. Um, how much is the treasure actually is got with? I mean... It's one trillion dollar, two trillion dollars, four trillion dollars, ten trillion dollars. We must know first, and then we can simplify that in rent. And now, to me, the way I observe all this news, what I heard, it looks like we are, South Africa is like it's a stage. It's like uncooked eggs, which is not ready. Eh? Something we want to save someone, but it's not ready yet to be eaten. So, in this this notion of of people saying that ah. Look like I see on 29th going to lose power. I start doubting because a lot of things need to be explained here. Yeah. There is a lot to be explained. But are we holding our leaders accountable? Are we getting them to a point where they are explaining all of that which needs to be explained? And I suspect that we are not. The problem is that the Constitution is protecting them. Because every time the leader gets accountable, he runs to the court, he still the lawyer is standing there for him, and they goes out, he stays money. The whole system is all corrupt. I think if, if we can go through, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 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 let's do a vote of, say, people want this constitution to change or not to be changed, you know, referendum, sort of things like that. And from the people, people at least they can decide for themselves. It looks like I see for 100 years and the 20 years, 23 years of ruling is not yet there. I mean, it's, it's, it's so confusing here. Yeah. That's hmm. all my, my view. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Patrick and Richmond. And, and one of my friends was saying to me on Friday, you know, the problem with us is that things are so bad where we simply don't even understand the difference between propaganda and polemic. I mean, simple. Because some of it is just so ridiculous. And yet, if it serves the agenda that we are pushing, we'll go for it and we'll propagate it. What are we doing? Daniel in Cape Town, good morning. Hello, Sakina, are you there? I'm here, Daniel. Good morning. Good morning. I thought, I thought the point that you just raised now is, quick, is very important. And the, the, the report is quite worrying because... Uh, Earlier, I've been in another radio station with another academic, Pete Croker, and we were talking about the whole question about how this report is actually um, in one way searching for relevance of academics within this current national discourse. On the other hand, there were, there were issues that we were raising about 
Others report is also ideologically creating a disposition of itself, you know. Um, and 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 what is very interesting in this report on page 54, on page 42, it's it's in fact it's it's raising the issue about the delegitimization of the ANC as an organisation that has produced a president, but also reduced certain policies. Mm. And 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 what it does. It, it on the one hand is very over reliance, but there's a there's an issue of rigor and academic uh, 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 test to some of these investigations, you know, um, and and the, the idea of evidence and the reliance on, like, on on newspaper reports, but in particular, a report that's so lazily written without evidence properly being produced is quite worrying. Mm. Not what notwithstanding, notwithstanding, the I think we we. Corruption corrodes, damages all facets of political, social, and corporate life, you know. And we need to fight this, the forces of sleaze and craft. But it is, it is interesting that what we need to think about is how do we create a willingness to remake the national political culture of South Africa on the one hand. On the other hand, how do we then strengthen that through a new form of political leadership? So what I, what I don't seem to get from the report is is its ability in fact it plays into the current bi- binary conversation because this issue in it itself does. It is does. Bi- it's so binary and this report doesn't help us at all it, in fact it just plays into another angle and it creates a crisis that the single biggest crisis that africa is facing is the zuma elite and it's so historical about what has happened in the past and how that is carried through in different ways in the South Africa of today, from the land issue, from mining issues, from business issues. And I've reminded people in the previous conversation that who ran, who who captured the education system at a given time when books were only bought and sold by one particular publisher to to schools, you know? So we have this thing about uh, the whole issue about criminality, Informal networks and formal networks, which ostensibly is the issue of state capture. So, what there's a lot for us to be concerned about as South Africans, and you're right, we should not fall into that trap. And, 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 and we should be clear about what is happening and make sure that we hold everybody who should be held to account. And I think we are failing on that score at the moment, uh, Daniel. We should be concerned um, if power is shifting away from government. But I agree with you also that, and I, I, and I put this to Dr. Kobo on Friday, there, there, there did seem to be, um, you know, an overemphasis on the Zuma-Gupta links as opposed to other players who are equally perhaps in the wrong in some instances. And why should they not be held accountable equally? And for me, it's just that. That is my point of departure. Everybody who is involved in wrongdoing should be held to account, regardless of who you are. Mike Newlands, good morning. Hi, good morning, SK. I think the thing is, if any democracy is judged by the respectful rule of law, and that's where we're going wrong. We keep asking what's happening, why is things being not being done? Well, if we look back three years ago, a charge was laid against Zuma by the leader of the opposition. Three years ago, that charge languishes on somebody's desk. The, the president of the country decides who is going to lay what charges and when. That's our problem. The second thing is, when we have a president 
that's uh, found not to uphold our constitution by the highest court in the land, yet remains in power and voted back in on a constant basis. And not only that, when you ask him a question in Parliament, he lied to us when he said he had not had a public protector, had not asked him questions. Only four days later, we could listen to three hours of tapes where the public protector then was then asking him questions and he was refusing to answer. So on that premise, we are in deep, deep trouble because if we don't respect the law, all of us, then, of course, none of these things are going to happen. The questions will never be asked. And I think Vuzi, uh, I'm not sure where he's from, hit the nail on the head when he said, we actually need to lead Zuma run his course and drop the Zuma must fall. Because the, the thing is about it is, we now have ANC members coming forward who want to ask Zuma, but where have they been in the last 10, 15 years? They are equally as corrupt because they've been in that same party. So we need to move the entire ANC out. And I think he's absolutely right. Let's rid the country of the ANC one time and I get a whole new fresh start. Thanks so very much, okay? Thank you so much, Mike. So when, where are we going to find our voices and actually um, assert our rights as citizens of this country uh, to get rid of any and every corrupt element uh, that is at play here and move forward? I don't know if it's even possible, uh, given everything that is going on at the moment, uh, but I'd be damned if I gave up on the hope that, you know, there is a better tomorrow out there for all South Africans. Uh, Jim Pasquale says uh, Zuma and the ANC will do whatever they want uh, while an uneducated public is kept even more ignorant. Well, whose responsibility is it for the public to become more um, au fait with what is going on in the state uh, so that they can do something about it and hold leaders accountable.